14. Hello, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I'm Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And try as I might, I can't quite get one of my uh, road trips to go quite as smoothly as one of Clark Griswold's. I mean, you have a hard enough time just going around the corner to the store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, well. Excuse me, can we get directions to the freeway? Can we fuck your mama? <laughs> Marty Moose. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, roll them up. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So this week we are looking at the original 1983 National Lampoon's Vacation up against 2015, 2016? Yeah, 2015's Just Vacation. Vacation, yeah. Yeah. So we've got Chevy Chase versus Ed Helms on the funny bits. So on the holiday road. Uh... And if you like the holiday road. You might like the shows on the Podcast Network. Collective. The Podcast Collective. I almost said the Network Collective. <laughs> <laughs> the Network Podcast Collective Network. There you'll find such amazing shows as I Am Salt Lake, Tales from the Hard Side, Mom and the New Dad, and of course, the Red Dad Radio Hour. <laughs> Is that clapping going to happen all show? <laughs> no! <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lindsey Buckingham would be proud. No, I don't no, think he wouldn't. would. No, he mm. probably wouldn't. Yeah, you're looking for more of this. Why wouldn't you? iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe. You're already seven. worn out? What the hell? Noon <laughs> FM. Go, guys, go on without me. I can't hey. make it. Count. Rick, Rick, you've got to help me, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Oh, nice. Dude, your references are off the chart. <laughs> 708 now rap. 708-669-9727. Click and call on Facebook too. Give us a ring. Got any feedback? No, we don't. Ha ha ha. I actually checked ahead of time. Just turned Jesus, it off. Mike is around. losing his mind directly in front of us. Ah, I'm reaping oh, all the benefits. Ah. Excellent. All right. And about that, is it about that time? Jesus, yes, it is. It's definitely about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. In sports. I didn't clap. <laughs> I wanted to. All right. So this week, July 29th, 1983, the release. Of National Lampoon's NLC. Release. It's the release. Release the crime. That's what you do when the dog is no longer on the chain. You release him. Release him. Release <laughs> of NLC. Thank you, National... Mr. Connery. <laughs> Hot shingles in my area. Release oh. the Kraken. All right. National Lampoon's. But NLC. What's NLC? NLV. NLV. It's the yeah. vacation. Oh, hey. <laughs> vacation. National Lampoon's Vacation, July 28th, 1983. Music taken, Joel. The number one song in the land was Every Breath You Take by the Police. Good song. Yeah. In, yeah. I think it, it. it's in my classification of songs that people use for romantic reasons that really haven't listened to the words. True. Like one from U2. Yeah. Or one by Metallica. 
as our first dance. <laughs> we we always kiss during the landmine song. The landmine Doctors song. imprisoning me. All that I see. Absolute horror. Aww. It's so uh, romantic. Isn't it? So anyway, speaking of Metallica, on July 25th, Metallica's oh, yeah. debut album, Kill 'em All, was released. The album generated three singles, Whiplash, great song, Jump in the Fire, even better song, and Seek and Destroy, which is a good song. That's a great album, by the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. Seek and Destroy is one of my all-time favorites, and I'm a pretty big fan of Metallica. Yeah, if I have to choose Metallica albums, Ride the Lightning would be number one, Seek and Destroy. Talk about coming out of the gate swinging. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I'm not a fetishist of the uh, old stuff. Like, I, I will admit the last couple albums have been crap. But I, I think a lot of people are just like, oh, the, the, they started sounding like shit at the Black Album. It's like, whatever, dude. Be careful not cut yourself on all that edge. <laughs> the, the first album, though, was, was almost punk. You know, it was borderline punky. I don't know. And and the Black Album is a solid record. Love it or hate it. It's a solid record. Mm-hmm. Now, St. Anger. Yeah, I just, I, I, I'm not going to say, yeah, uh, the really later stuff is the only reason I can't say, oh, I celebrate their entire catalog. Yeah, it does eventually go to shit. I just think my line for when it happens is much later than a lot of people's. I mean, are you around Garage Inc.? Like, I, I went to the Garage Inc. tour when they were in town. Nice. That's a, that's a great little uh, little EP sort of thing. Like, I would go so far as to say Reload, and I, for a lot of people, that's a bridge too far. They do a song about Cthulhu. How can you not love that? So speaking of Cthulhu, on July 27th, Madonna's debut album, Madonna, was released. The album generated yeah. five singles, Lucky Star, good song, Borderline, better song, Burning Up, decent song, Holiday, Dig It, and Everybody. All but three songs on the album, which reached number eight on the charts, were written by the then 24-year-old Madonna, which that album, that's where I started. But that's another one, like you know, talk about coming out the gates swinging. I mean, the two two great debut albums this week. And by the way, your your Cthulhu comment kind of offended me. I was like, that's kind of. But then I thought about it. I'm like, would you really be surprised to find out Madonna was an elder god? I mean, <laughs> especially with those song titles: Lucky Star, Borderline, Burning Up, Holiday, <laughs> Everybody, Everybody Burning Up on Holiday, Everybody Burning Up Holiday. <laughs> All right, and finally, James Lee Jamerson was the uncredited session bassist on most of the Motown record hits in the 1960s and early 1970s. As a session, session, good lord, as a session musician, he played on 23 Billboard number one hits, surpassed only by Paul McCartney, who cites Jamerson as an influence, as well as 56 R&B number one hits. Wait, does he does he cite 56 number one R&B hits as his influence or? That's a weirdly written sentence. No, it's so anyway, not. There's two, there's two dashes in there. Like If you just follow them, like the grammar works the out. Li- the listeners can't see that. Yeah, but if you learn how to pronounce sentences the way they're, they're typed out. You have I'm to pronounce Robert. a dash, Joel. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it is. Always pronounce every piece of punctuation. <laughs> that will solve the problem. Oh, you've opened the door now. He is, oh, if you start doing that, I swear to God, I will I will pull this car over. <laughs> he is now regarded as one of the most influential bass players in modern music history. Period. Into the I, knew, I was like, don't you do it. I almost said it. Like, don't you do it, motherfucker. I figured somebody else would take up the mantle. 
Uh, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2000. In its special issue, the 100 Greatest Bass Players, Bass Player Magazine ranked Jamerson number one and the most influential bass player guitarist. In 2011, Jamerson ranked third in the 20 most underrated bass guitarists in Pace Magazine. Long troubled by alcoholism, Jamerson died of complications from cirrhosis of the liver, heart failure, and pneumonia on August 2nd. Jesus. Wow, that sucks. Yeah, very much like how my grandfather went. That's super absorbent. Yikes. <laughs> Period. Yeah, just like his whole story is kind of sad. Right? Like one of the most talented bass players ever. And I bet you, you know, you couldn't find one person in a hundred that even can name him. Right. And yeah, he had all his career ma- making like a big contribution because like 70s music, the bass is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And like. I don't know. Dying of alcoholism never without anyone even really knowing your name or recognizing your work is fucked up. Hey, but if Paul McCartney is citing you as an influence, I'll I'll take that as a win and a reason to have a uh, if he knew that. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's yeah, I guess it's a consolation prize. Those in the know know who you are. You're like, you know, right. a musician's mm-hmm. musician, you know. Yeah. Doesn't pay the bills, though. Nope. Buys the alcohol, though. Doesn't get you a new liver either. Yeah, (laughs) doesn't get you a new liver, just buys you the alcohol. All right, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was National Lampoon's Vacation, which knocked off Jaws 3D. As it should. That didn't take much. (laughs) Jaws 3D had like a three-week run. I couldn't believe it. Really? I didn't know that. Well, it was one of the early like 3D revival movies, I think. I mean, after I, I remember everybody going to see it and talking about it, but I mean, yeah, I even saw it in the theater. I've never seen a 3D Western. Hmm. Was this before or after Friday the 13th? Three, probably after. Well, let's see. Part one was 81, so part three would have been about 83, or part two would have been about 83. Part four, or part. Yeah, so this is probably before then. No, yeah, a little it before. before. That's a good question. All right. Movies released this week included Mr. Mom, Jaws 3D, Crawl, National Lampoon's Vacation, Private School, Risky Business, and the acronym of the week, which is DDFI, which I'm pretty sure stands for don't, don't finger it. (laughs) (laughs) Too late. That's a a secret hidden track on Madonna's first album. (laughs) I got my dates mixed up. Uh, the first one was 80, second one was 81, and the third one was actually 82. Oh. Okay, so before Jaws 3D. And the acronym actually was not, don't don't finger <laughs> it. It was Daffy Duck's Fantastic Island. You were pretty close. All right. Don't finger Daffy Duck. I like Kroll. <laughs> oh, I did not. I, I liked it, too. It, it had this lo-fi pulp aesthetic going on. I remember going to the theater with high hopes and being very disappointed. Oh, see, I owned the board game before I actually saw the movie. Oh. So, and if you experience them in that order, it's really strange because you can't quite pick up the plot of the movie from the board game, even though the board game is pretty cool. Hmm. What was the name of the thing? The glaive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The uh, three bladed. It's five blades, right? Is, oh, you're right. It is five blades. It's like a five bladed throwing star. Well, it had a cool name to it. And another thing I liked about it is the uh, the cyclopses that could see their own death. Yeah, I, I was pretty sure it's just called the glaive. 
Yeah. I'm just like I'm just sitting here thinking how great it would be. He's like, oh, what's it called? It was so cool. He looks it up. He's like, it was called Fivey. <laughs> like some really dumb name. You're like, oh, never mind. But that didn't happen, so never mind. Okay. Uh, yeah. Moving along. Nothing to see. Fivey. Fivey. I I call it Handwich. Okay, so that James is... David Graham Niven <laughs> oh, man. was yeah. an English actor, novelist, and World War II veteran. His many films included A Matter of Life and Death, Around the World in 80 Days, Bedtime Story, and The Pink Panther. He won an Academy Award for Best Actor for Separate Tables. He died July 29th of uh, Lou Gehrig's disease at 73 years old. Aw. Never even heard of Separate Tables. Huh. Me either. I didn't even look it up. I don't know what it is. And he won a Best Actor for it, though, so it must have been somewhat of a big film. Yeah, I've never heard of it either. That's weird. You you missed the movie in there, Pat. Murder by Death. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that one. Yeah, where he plays a parody of The Thin Man. Hmm. But Bedtime He's... Story was mentioned. I was happy I remembered that he was in The Pink Panther. Oh, that's the first thing that popped up in my head with him. But uh, that, and he was also, he was did Disney movies. Had what with Joel? What was her name that was in Sounds of the Lambs? Jodie Foster. Foster? Jodie Foster, yeah. Jodie Foster and David Niven, Disney movie. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. What the hell was the name of that one? Yeah. Anyway. Kramer versus Kramer. I mean, David Niven had a, a, an incredible career. There's a lot of stuff I couldn't include at all. He, he had oh, like over 100 tough. movies. All right. Raymond Hart Massey was an actor known for his commanding stage trained voice. For his lead role in Abe Lincoln in Illinois, Massey was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor. He was also well-known for the television series Dr. Kildare. Despite over 100 appearances in film and television, today he is most often recognized for his role as Jonathan Brewster in Arsenic and Old Lace. Massey died of pneumonia in L.A. on July 29th. His death came on the same day as that of David Niven, with whom he co-starred in The Prisoner of Zenda and A Matter of Life and Death. There you go. And ironically enough, our fellow Matt Massey, same last name, not related. He's played, dead? Uh, <laughs> played um, Jonathan Brewster in our second old place in our high school production. Oh, I thought you were going to say he also died when David Niven died. He died of pneumonia, yes, last year. He's he's still alive, but... Oh, Jesus! <laughs> that, that, didn't, that didn't happen. Sorry, Matt. I know you listen, so I apologize. <laughs> oh. Kicking and screaming, we will get through this tweet. Okay, yeah. Peter Arne, born Peter Randolph Michael Albrecht, was a British character actor who made more than 50 film appearances, including roles in Ice Cold and Alex, <laughs> Moonraker, Straw Dogs, and Conspiracy of Hearts, as well as villains in Blake Edwards' The Pilk? The Pilk? The, the, the Pilk? The the Pilk. Pilk. <laughs> The Pink Panther series. <laughs> That's the Pilk Panther, apparently. Yeah. Okay. He, all, <laughs> he, <laughs> he also appeared on stage, screen, and television, and had supporting roles in the television series The Avengers and Danger Man, among others, in a career that spanned 40 years. On August 1st, Arn attacked... Uh, attended a costume fitting for his character Range in the Doctor Who television serial Frontios. Is that right? Frontios. <laughs> That's what it looks like to me. I'm a, Frontios. I'm a, I'm a little Frontios. short. Can you Frontios me a five? Yeah. I mean, Joel's a resident Doctor Who expert. You'd have to ask him. Yeah. Frontios. Yeah. 
Oh, Frontios. Yeah. So not Frontios. <laughs> I like I like the nacho cheese Frontios. Yeah. A role which would eventually be played by William Lucas. Shortly after Anne returned to his home, neighbors reported hearing a violent argument with his roommate. Arne's body was later found inside his flat, bludgeoned to death with a stool and log from his fireplace. What? His roommate's body was later found drowned in an apparent suicide. Holy shit. Yeah. And what is the connection? David Niven. (laughs) I don't want to make my chili cheese brontios commercial now. That's like the connection of all the deaths in movies this time. Because he was in Pink Panther. Yep. Holy crap. This is a bad week to know David Niven. Jeez. Or to be David Niven. <laughs> He's probably like, all right, I drowned that guy and beat that other guy to death with a log. I'm out. <laughs> Hollywood is like, the curse is lifted. David Niven is gone. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> What? So TV. The top shows in the land were Dallas, 60 Minutes, Dynasty, and the A-Team. Very 80s. Yeah. Uh, The cast of NBC's series Search for Tomorrow is forced to do a live show for the first time since the program began using videotape format during 1967 due to the loss of both the regular transmission tape and a backup. Fuck it. We'll do it live. (laughs) I wonder how well that went. I, I almost kind of want to look that up. Wait, the loss of both a regular transmission tape and a backup. Does that mean they needed to like redo the whole thing again and they'd already taped it? Yep. Yep. They had to yep. redo the whole show. Oh, my God. Yep. Kind of like when we lose a recording and we have to redo it. Yeah. Except imagine that it's supposed to post like now and instead we're just going to do it live. <laughs> well, yeah. And all the contestants, like if one of them just fucking ate it on the show are they forced to do a, another bad performance search for tomorrow that was a soap opera oh for some reason i was thinking it was like star search it was that kind of show <laughs> oh, oh okay no. that's why i was so horrified that they had to do it over again <laughs> i don't know that's why we were so confused about it remember, like, remember that note you missed you got to miss it again <laughs> yeah. we're gonna search for tomorrow today you're not good enough all right <laughs> get the handwich I give, I give them credit. I give them credit for the fact that they're just like, screw it, let's go. Uh, Friday Night Videos was an American music video show that premiered on NBC July 29th and ran until 2002. It was a network's attempt to capitalize on the emerging popularity of music videos as seen on MTV. Belinda Carlisle was the host of the first episode. Hmm. That's where I saw my first uh, TMBG video. Oh. Friday Night Videos. They played some weird stuff, man. Yeah, I used to use Friday Night Videos as an excuse to stay up late on Fridays. As soon as my parents would leave the room and go to bed, I would turn it over to like the Showtime nudie channels and stuff. Not Showtime. That was Cinemax, dude. Whatever, yeah. What? I, I didn't care what the name of the channel was. I just cared that there was boobs. Did you Did you do the thing where you tried to see them in the static? Oh. No, I didn't need to. We had remember remember the the show when we talked about. I had that special cable oh, that had yeah. all the channels. Yeah, lucky. Seriously, I mean, Joel, shut up. You probably had one of those giant satellite dishes. I know what, how you grew up. <laughs> no, he, his parents just paid naked women to come to him. Hey, they would just walk in front of him and be like, "This is what boobs look like," and then they'd leave. But they were all scrambled. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
Also, Carolyn Jones began her film career in the early 1950s, and by the end of the decade, had been nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for The Bachelor Party. What? I don't think it was that one. Oh. Yeah, not that one. Yeah, and a Golden Globe Award. Her film career continued for another 20 years, and in 1964, she began playing the role of Morticia Adams, as well as her sister Ophelia and the feminine counterpart of Thing, Ladyfingers, a role for which she was primarily known. Jones died of cancer at 54 years of age on August 3rd. That's scary. What? She didn't know David Niven at all. No. Nope. Yeah, she didn't, she didn't know David Niven 54 years. That's yep. six years away. Oh, that's yep. scary. You're having an existential crisis. Not really. I just. Well, people died before that, too. I mean, yeah, technically, we've outlived other people, so yep. we can uh, outlive her, too. Morticia Adams is kind of hot. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, not buying, I'm not buying any green bananas or anything. But... Plenty of people died. For more information, just keep listening to the Twee. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. There's a lot of death. Is, is green, <laughs> wait, is green bananas a thing? Say it's not a thing. Green bananas are my favorite. Well, yeah, if you don't think you're going to be around long enough, they're not going to ripen. Oh, it's just more like a, it's just more. I'm like... going to save this one for if I live. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to sports. Five years after New Zealand's first ever win against England in 48 attempts, their victory in the second test at Leeds in July was their first ever victory in England. It was, however, not enough to prevent England winning the series 3-1. to one. The bowling hero was the medium pacer Lance Cairns, who claimed 10 wickets in the match for 144 runs. Rather surprisingly, New Zealand's premier bowler, Richard Hadley, did not take any wickets, although he did score 75 runs in the first inning. Cricket. On July 27th, Gaylord Perry joined Nolan Ryan and Steve Carlton to be only the third MLB pitcher to reach 3,500 career strikeouts. Wow. Pretty impressive. That's impressive. Brooks Robinson... Juan Marichal, George Kell, and Walter Alston were all inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame on July 31st. And lastly in sports, the pine tar incident occurred during an American League baseball game played between the Kansas City Royals and the New York Yankees on July 24th at Yankee Stadium. With his team trailing 4-3 in the top half of the ninth inning and two out, George Brett of the Royals hit a two-run home run to give his team the lead. However, Yankees manager Billy Martin requested that the umpires inspect the bat. They ruled that the amount of pine tar on the bat exceeded the amount allowed by rule, nullified Brett's home run, and called him out. As Brett was the third out in the ninth inning with the home team in the lead, the game ended with a Yankees win. The Royals protested the game, and AL President Lee McAfail ordered that the game be continued from the point of Brett's home run. The game was restarted on August 18th and officially ended with the Royals winning 5-4. I remember that. Holy huh. shit. Being a Kansas City boy. And I love George Brett growing up. I remember that. How much pine tar is... I mean, this you got to explain this to me. What? How much pine tar is allowed on a bat? What are they, why do they put pine tar on a bat? You're, you're allowed to have pine tar on your hands, but you're not allowed to coat the bat with it. Mm. And there was enough on the bat that they said that he coated the bat. Because it's you, know, you have it on there so the bat doesn't slip out of your hands, obviously, while you're batting. You can you can put it on your gloves, and there could be like residual amounts on the bat, but you can't like actually have coating on the bat. Yeah, remember what happened when we were playing baseball in 1994? We don't want that again. Yeah, crow's still not walking right. Pine tar. 
Pine tar. You don't know about that? That was a big deal. Pine tar incident? Yeah. That was a big deal in Kansas City, I'm sure. Yeah. It was. Not so much in Chicago. Not so much in the rest of the world. I mean, Kansas City, what else are you going to be doing? Dancing around. Stop it. (laughs) Stop it, Patrick. Leave it there. I just referenced that the other day to Laura. I was explaining to her about what you say whenever, you know, Kansas City comes up. (laughs) So, yeah, we'll just leave that there. All you Mel Brooks fans out there, you'll get it. Oh. All right. Well, that's the end of the tweet. You want to play us off, Keyboard Joel? All right. So then, 1983, National Lampoon's Vacation, sometimes just referred to as Vacation, a road film directed by Harold Ramis, starring Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, Randy Quaid, Dana Barron, Anthony Michael Hall, John Candy, Imogene Coca, Christy Brinkley, and a very young Jane Krakowski appearing in supporting roles. Written by John Hughes and based on a short story called Vacation 58, which appeared in National Lampoon magazine. That's a hell of a pedigree right there. Even without talking about the movie, just the cast and the director, writer. Oh, yeah. I mean, you said to me, hey, John Hughes wrote a story and it was directed by Harold Ramis and has Chevy Chase in it. All right, I'm in. So it comes out, it is a box office hit earning more than $60 million in the United States with a budget of $15 million. Whew. I know, right? And that's that's just like the credits nowadays, $15 million. <laughs> right? This is $1983. Uh, as a result of its success, four sequels have been produced, uh, only one of which is worth it. European Vacation, 85. Christmas Vacation, 1989. Vegas Vacation in 97. And most recently, 2015's Just Vacation, which then serves as a reboot and a continuation. In 2000, readers of Total Film magazine voted it the 46th greatest comedy film of all time. And it continues to be a cult film and a staple on television, cable TV. Moving on, the musical score. I put this in there because there's a lot of good music in this one. Composed by Ralph Burns and original songs by Lindsey Buckingham of, just lost it, Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I know, that guy. Album did not chart. Holiday Road hit number 82 on the Billboard Hot 100 that year. Although, whenever you hear that song, you automatically think of this movie. Oh, yeah. If you've ever seen the movie, it's just embedded in your you know subconscious of this yeah it's, and it's one of my favorite one-off you know movie songs like intro songs it's just it's a fun song mm-hmm. and, it, and it really perfectly captures the mood that they're going for too yes 100 percent, 100 percent. well i mean again it's part of that perfect storm thing hey who should we get to write the opening song for this movie how about the guy from fleetwood mac mick fleetwood no the other guy stevie nicks <laughs> no the other guy oh jeez He's doing magic right now. Leave like, that, guy, that, that guy that was cool enough to talk Stevie Nicks into having sex with him. Like, well, you're going to have to narrow the list down. Yeah. <laughs> Anne Hart? Uh, <laughs> all right. So this is directed by a one Harold Ramis. If you do not know who that is, I am disappointed in you. <laughs> you're listening to the wrong show. Yeah. Harold Ramis, Egon on Ghostbusters, has also directed such things as Caddyshack, Groundhog Day, Multiplicity, Analyze This, Analyze That, uh, and several ep- uh, episodes of The Office, including He's a the comedy s- god. Yes, the safety training. Uh, knocked you know. Up. He, he, he directed Knocked wow. Up. Wow. I had no idea TV. that uh, safety training was Harold Ramis. Yeah, safety training, uh, The Delivery Part 2, Beach Games, and a Benny Hanna Christmas. R.I.P. Harold Reigns. Yes. 
Also written by John Hughes. Again, if you don't know who that is, you are completely on the on the wrong uh, show. Uh, also wrote some things, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Uncle Buck. Just uh, amazing stuff all around. Home Alone. Yeah, Home Alone. I mean, that was uh, a writing machine as far as screenplays go. Oh, yeah. I mean, occasionally he could, he, go, in, he could go in a room and like two days later. I, I think it took him two days to write uh, 16 Candles. Yeah. The same way with Home Alone. He was like, just like, here you go. <laughs> hey, yeah. but before we all start going on, and he also wrote Drillbit Taylor. Didn't know that, did you? It can't all be winners. As Edmund Dantes. <laughs> he put in he put in a fake name, which I think is hilarious. Well, at least he wasn't Alan Smithy. I think that was one that he's like, he's like I need a house. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have enough houses. I need a new car. I'm going to go in the hero. Here you go. Here's something. Give that to somebody. Uh, so the cast, Chevy Chase as Clark Griswold, Beverly D'Angelo as Ellen Griswold, Imogene Coca as Ed, Aunt Edna, a very young Anthony Michael Hall as Rusty Griswold, Dana Barron as Audrey Griswold, Randy Quaid and the first uh, Cousin Eddie experience, Miriam Flynn as Ellen's cousin Catherine, Christy Brinkley as the Ferrari girl, John Candy as Russ Lesky, the very end, which, by the way, he got $1 million. Wow. That is what he got paid. Nice. Sorry, folks. Bark's closed. Good right. for him. Moose out front should have told you. Yep. <laughs> but hey, they got their money back on him when he was in Home Alone because he didn't get paid at all. As the, as the guy in the airport? As Yeah, as the, the head of the polka band. Yep. Yep. Then Eddie Bracken as Roy Wally. Perfect casting. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Bracken, actually, hang on, I, com- I forgot the name of E. He's done a lot. Oh, he's he's in a ton of stuff. Um, but one of my favorite movie of mine when I was growing up, The Miracle of Morgan's Creek. Eddie Bracken and Betty Hutton about a this is a nineteen forty three movie about a girl who goes out with all the troops before they leave for the war and comes back married and pregnant and doesn't know who the daddy is. Holy crap. Nineteen forty three? Nineteen forty three. And Eddie Bracken Eddie Bracken tried to join the army but he wasn't accepted so he's stuck at home and is actually her boyfriend imagine how controversial that movie was at the time i can't even imagine huh yeah it's actually very funny 1943 kind of slapsticky comedy but he plays a guy called norval jones seen it multiple times really kind of a weird time and place for that movie but it's still fantastic brian doyle murray it's a camp comfort clerk. <laughs> a great little cameo. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he and it took me a second to recognize him, too. He was pretty young there. Yeah. I mean, well, compared. as they all were. James Keach as motorcycle cop. Eugene Levy as the Ed, the car salesman. His eyebrows are much younger there, too. Yeah. <laughs> Frank McRae as Grover. Jane Krakowski as cousin Vicky. And John P. Nevin Jr. as cousin Dale. Daddy says I'm the best. <laughs> so... There's that cast and some trivia. The Wagon Wheel Family Truckster Station Wagon, believe it or not, was created specifically for the te- for the film. What? Yeah, I know. But it is based off the Ford LTD 1979 Country Squire Station Wagon, which if you think station wagon with wood paneling, that's the one you're thinking of. We had yep. one. Yep. Rode around we in had one. Yeah, well, we had we had the wood panel station wagon. I think we had a little bit later version of it, but it was a Ford like that style wood panel station wagon, a little curvier. Hmm. Ford lumberjack. 
That wood grain trim. Because that's what you want when you drive a car. Wood. A belt. <laughs> uh, many bits of the film were improvised, believe it or not, including Clark's dance with his sandwich, Clark's prayer and send-off to Aunt Edna, and Rusty chugging the beer. Really? Oh, I thought that, that was... was... Yeah, apparently that was uh, ad-libbed. That's awesome. Yeah, like, I could see the dance with the sandwich. Uh, yeah. And even the chugging of the beer, but the Clark's uh, speech talking to Aunt Edna, I would have presumed that would have been in the script. Yeah. Although the original ending has never been released to the public, Chevy Chase says in a DVD commentary that he has a tape of the movie with the original ending. But what is the original ending? The original ending is they actually chase down Roy Wally and hold him hostage in his house with his family. Oh, so kind of like uh, Christmas, Christmas vacation. vacation. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's actually what they did is they took that and moved it over to Christmas vacation and did that instead with Brian Doyle Murray. It, this makes much more sense the way that this ends and the way that ends. Yeah. The use of that, it makes much more sense because here it would have been, it would have been a little too far, I think. True. Especially after everything else. I mean, it would have been, it, 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 this made sense for the ending. I think the hostage in the house thing would have gone over, over, overboard on it. But Chevy Chase appears in some scenes wearing a blue Chicago Bears baseball cap. He wears the same Chicago Bears cap throughout all four vacation movies. Hmm. Yeah. I never caught that before. Yeah, makes sense, though. I mean, they're from Chicago, and Chevy Chase is a big Cubs fan, so makes well, sense. Bears, but uh, originally... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. Same thing. Uh, originally, the producers wanted Christy Brinkley to appear naked in the film, but she refused. In the meantime, Beverly Angelo said, I'm okay with it. I for- I did not realize... I do not remember Beverly D'Angelo being as naked as she was in this movie. Nice. Oh, I did. So... There were other things I forgot, but I didn't forget that. (laughs) A compromise was reached where she stripped down to her bra and panties before jumping into the pool with Clark. So The the days of the the modest supermodel. Mm -hmm. Now they're all like, yeah, whatever. I'm already (laughs) naked. (laughs) Right? I mean, there's been so many paparazzi photos of them at photo shoots and everything. You can't be a supermodel anymore without just being, you know, acceptance of the fact that you're going to be naked all over the Internet. So I never got to be one. Right, same same easier. thing that kept me out. I was like, I'm not just showing all these goods off for free. Exactly. You're naked right now, aren't you, Pat? Yeah, but I'm paying myself. Yeah, and I put myself up naked on the internet for nothing. I'm not a supermodel or anything. <laughs> just didn't work. <laughs> I'm cutting out the middleman. He broke the internet. <laughs> Last up, Chevy Chase and James Keach stated in interviews that during the dog tied to the bumper scene, both he and Chevy were legitimately tearing up, but... Because they were trying to keep in the laughing so hard. Uh, the reason why Chevy Chase is biting his lips and shortening shortness of breath is all genuine. Because apparently, my guess is they did that scene multiple times. And it just they kept just getting goofier and goofier. Got into a laughing fit and couldn't oh. get out of it. Oh, yeah. We've been there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you gonna eat that pickle? <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> yep. I'm still to this day not sure which one of us started it. But Phil ended it. <laughs> So, I'm pretty sure this is not a first viewing for any of us. No. Not at all. I've seen this more time than I can count. Yeah, I'm in the same. Like, uh, I'm picky when it comes to comedies, but one of the categories that gets an exemption is Harold Ramis films. Mm. In general. There's a few of his I don't care for, but, like, uh, he's got a lot more hits for me than just about any other comedy. Year, year one was awful. I don't know if I ever saw that one. Oh, Jack the one Black with and, and Michael Sarah. Oh, yeah. Michael yeah, David Spade was in it, but I mean, yeah, the two leads were Jack Black and Michael Sarah. 
it, it was kind of like um remember that movie with uh Ringo Starr Caveman? Yeah. It was like that. But with Michael Sarah. Yeah. And somehow not funny. Like Michael Sarah. <gasps> you bite your <laughs> He has his moments. Really? I wasn't I expecting think... that kind of reaction from Pat. Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't think he liked it. I him. love Michael Sarah. That's why I made the comment. I thought he was in the fan. Oh. Huh, I was wrong. But Ooh. anyway, Moving Michael Sarah is not in this movie. No, he's not. But um, I actually, this is the first time I've watched this movie in quite a while. I didn't realize that, I, you know, I, I love the whole Vacation franchise, but I didn't realize how long it's been since I've watched this because there were a lot of scenes in it that I was like, I forgot all about that scene. Mm-hmm. So it's been probably a good 20 years since I've watched this, but I've watched it a lot back in, back when I was younger. I will never forget the very first time I saw this. My my cousins, whenever we go to visit my my mom's uh, sister and and their her family, if we'd go there for holidays, my cousins always would pick out a movie and we'd watch it together as a family. My cousin John was not the best at that. Like at a lock in, he chose Trading Places, <laughs> <laughs> and The Naked Gun was another one. That was a winner. But we watched this, and I just I just distinctly remember it. I don't know why. Maybe but i remember watching it with my uh my family and just i was sold after that i just i, I fell in love with the movie and i i watch it every couple of years probably i think i i'm with pat i have not seen this in easily a decade decade plus Oof. but i i think i recall seeing it on like a channel 7 movie of the night because there are scenes from this that i do generally do not recall seeing before so like an edited version, you mean like a made for TV sort of? Yeah, edit? yeah, like a like a clipped version. That's why I was that's why I was so surprised at Beverly D'Angelo's boobies all over the place. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, if you've seen it with all the rest, risque material edited for TV, that makes sense. Yeah, that may be the. I mean, because we didn't get and a lot more cussing than you remembered. Yeah. <laughs> Yippee Kaye, Melon <laughs> Farmer. You definitely are used to the edited version. Yeah. Man, I, that that has to be it. Because like when the, when he pulls the thing over, I think, oh, you are fucked in the head. I'm like, what the. <laughs> that was kind of kind of rough there clark what the hell dude but no i mean in the same but in the same time this this is another one of those up there with christmas vacation you know it's just a classic you know we, everybody identifies with it just like christmas vacation everyone's like yep we've had those people over to the house yep we've had that happen everybody i think that's reason why it's held up so long is being a classic comedy is while may, maybe not everybody's you know had a relative die in the car but no, every... These are obvious hyperbolic situations of actual situations that families go through on trips. Exactly. Car breaks down, losing some of the luggage. The damn bed won't stop shaking. Supermodels won't stop hitting on you. <laughs> dog pees on the sandwiches. Yeah, that's actually realistic. <laughs> we don't even have a dog. Now, Josh, since you're 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 the picky one out of the bunch with comedies, what is it about this one that, that hits your sweet spot then? I don't know. I mean, it's it's not one of my favorites, but it's definitely one I've seen half a dozen times. And I don't know about recently, maybe four or five years ago. I, it's more rare that uh, it's a comedy that I don't have a huge problem with. And I think it doesn't do any of my deal breakers, really. It's not it's raunchy, but it's not super like gross lowbrow, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's raunchy just I say just enough, but it doesn't <laughs> hit like the porkies yeah whenever you go to gross out humor automatically that's that's going to be a, a deal breaker for me and it's I, intellectually raunchy yeah like the Ferrelli brothers are raunchy like gross out this is for like, sure yeah i would say intellectually raunchy is, is lots of cursing and 
situations, but they maybe don't show exactly what's happening. They just imply certain things. Like in yeah. like in a Ferrelli Brothers movie, you'd see the dog pee on this. Or like Clark would be sleeping and the dog would pee directly in on his face. In his mouth. Well, his mouth is sometimes on his face. <laughs> or you'd see Cousin Vicky make out with her dad. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that would not be implied. That would just be shown. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes that's the kind of thing I want. I want it to be kind of over the top and just in your face. But then, you know, things like this, especially with like a family comedy like this, it's kind of nice to to have that kind of implied humor. Family comedy is a weird, like, I don't I, mean like watch it with your family, but it involves a family. Okay. I was going to say, cause that's usually what that means. I was like that. This is not that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I watched this one with my family growing up all the time. The, like Christmas vacation was one of my father's favorite movies. I've seen that dozens of times. We had to watch it every Christmas. I, I do. That's one of my family traditions. Yep. Every year. Something about the Griswold. Family. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not like a, you know, a Cleaver family, you know, type of family movie, but it's definitely a family with a good sense of humor type of movie. And we've all, like Mike was saying, we've always been on those. We've all been on a road trip with our family where it's like you're sitting in the back of the car. You got your headphones or your, you know, your brother or sister is taking up half the seat. They're kicking you. You know, you need to go to the bathroom. You stop at a rest stop and it's gross or, you know, you're playing yeah. road games. Mom's head stuck under the steering wheel. <laughs> if you want to you want to hear more about that check out our road trips episode ah Ooh. good callback yeah like Al like you're welcome I mean I wish one of us didn't like it just so we can talk about something like that <laughs> so we could get because yeah that's what happens when we all like the movie remember that one part that's a counterpoint counterpoint alright I hated it it sucked I, w- I will say there were some parts of this that I thought were funnier I mean uh, some of it to myself I did not hold up you know, such as yeah, example. The dog peeing on the sandwiches. That didn't, you know, didn't hold up for me. I mean, there was a couple of the things in there that kind of dated it, but I I don't know, I ex- remember laughing more than I did. I enjoyed it, but I don't think there were I there was many laughs for me on this one on this viewing. I I also think there's a tendency for the mind to confuse anything but like the most obviously Christmassy scenes. Like if I'm thinking funny scenes from vacation, sometimes I'll accidentally mentally slip one in from European vacation or one of the other films. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, I think. Okay. Well, I think what I'm remembering was the big scenes. I'm remembering the remembering launch of the car into the, the desert. Yeah, the launch of the car into the desert, the swimming pool scene, the bed shaking scene. I completely forgot that Eugene Levy was in this. Well, he's you know he's such a small part. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, he he like launches one of the characters of the movie, which is a car. But it you know there the singing part. There were just it to me it was like a whole bunch of vignettes with filler in between that I just did not recall. See, and I think all of it needs to be there and all goes together so perfectly to tell the entire story from start to finish that, you know, there's not a lot of waste. I don't think Mike is, is complaining wow. or saying it shouldn't have been there. He's just saying his recollection of it was more of the big scenes than yeah. you know, it. Ah, yeah. there, there was, was a lot say. of the middle stuff that I just don't recall. I've just not that I didn't like it. I just don't recall it happening. I'm just kind of like it was, it was almost like watching it for the first time again. To finish my thought, but not in a Mike, you're dumb kind of thing. This is a movie where there's not a lot of wasted space. All the jokes are are sprinkled throughout it and move the story forward. But still, each one of them has its own little punchline. And it it all strings together really nicely. There's no pacing problems, in my opinion. It just kind of. Once you get going on that trip until you reach the end, you're going. And there's not a lot of wasted movement, in my opinion. Let's take a minute and talk about Cousin Eddie. 
Not as ridiculous as a Christmas Vacation. Right, they really ramped him up in Christmas Vacation. but And Vegas, he, he was even kind of a caricature of himself, which is yeah. crazy for a character that's this goofy. To go so far that he's, yeah. How do you make a caricature into a caricature? Cousin Eddie. Yeah. Let's not talk about Christmas Vacation 2. Oh, no. I was I was actually going to say, and then Randy Quaid went ahead and said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not playing Cousin Eddie anymore. I am Cousin Eddie. <laughs> Except for Independence Day 2. No, he was Cousin Eddie in that, too. He has, but he himself has gone off the deep end. Like, he has actual mental illnesses, and he has gone wackadoo. Which is unfortunate, because if you go back and you see him in, like, the last detail, dude's got chops. Yeah, but, I mean, mental illnesses are a fucking bitch. I think the thing with Eddie in this this will go around. He was kind of tragic. Yeah, and he was more just like a like a straight up scumbag. Like he was just you know from the moment that Clark arrived, just trying to get money out of him. Mm-hmm. Though when he cracks open, hey, you want a beer? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Be great. There you go. <laughs> you look like you could use a cold one. Just hands him his beer. <laughs> Clark drinks it though. Yeah, I was surprised at that. I was like, I didn't think that was going to happen. How much you need, Eddie? Fifty four thousand dollars. <laughs> It's like, what? But yeah. And I I, I, let's not underplay um, and Edna. Imogene Coco was, was brilliant in this movie. She gets me every time. I don't know what it is about her, just her delivery or her faces or her mannerisms. She All just reminds me of, of an aunt I had. And just every time I see it, it makes me laugh. She was actually worried that she was being too mean to people. <laughs> That's so sweet. Isn't it? Uh <laughs> How much money does Edna have in her purse? 11 cents. <laughs> a dead person breathed on me. <laughs> uh, that's something a kid would say. So, yeah, I think done? we've about exhausted this. Yeah, yeah, I think we're looping around. All right. So we're going to take a brief break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about just vacation. Vacation 2015. 15. Pretty soon they're going to do another one called staycation. Like Don't give them exciting. ideas. All right. We'll be back in a little bit. are talking about vacation 2015 road comedy film uh this one is directed by jonathan goldstein and john francis daly in their directorial debuts starring ed helms christina applegate skylar gizondo yeah steel stebbins leslie mann chris hemsworth beverly d'angelo and chevy chase it's fifth installment of vacation as kind of a soft reboot but it does not carry the national lampoon name uh, vegas vacation stopped doing that Came out on July 29th, 2015, same day as the original, and grossed $104 million from a $31 million budget. It's about the same margin, not too far yeah. off. Yeah, same per- same, almost the same ratio there. Uh, this, Jonathan Goldstein is the uh, director of this one, known for uh, directing most recently Game Night. Oh, such a great movie. Oh, I love that. Yeah, great movie. Managed to get to the theater to see that. That was a lot of fun. My favorite, my favorite scene of that one was when they're trying to bandage up the uh, the bullet wound and they start making each other gag. I'm pretty sure John Francis Daly isn't the kid from Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I was like, that name sounds familiar. Why do I know that name? 
Also, John Francis Daly Direction did this, did uh, directed Game Night also, and is now announced a 2021 Dungeons and Dragons movie. Huh. Ooh, I yeah. am intrigued. Uh, well, d and bigger than it was even in the 80s right now, so that does not shock me at all. Yeah. I hope they cast Thora Birch. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Marlon Wayne's back. Geneva. Uh, I am not proud of either one of us right I'm, now. I'm, just, I'm not I've proud seen, of any of you. I've seen it. I saw all it. Right. Just the first one, though. I Ed Helms it. as Rusty Griswold, pilot for Econo Air. Christina Applegate as Debbie Fletcher Griswold, Rusty's wife. Skylar Gazando as James Griswold. Steele Stebbins as Kevin Griswold. Chris Hemsworth as Stone Crandall and his boxer shorts. <laughs> Leslie Mann as Audrey Griswold, Rusty's sister. Chevy Chase as Clark again in Beverly D'Angelo comes back for Ellen. Charlie Day as the river rafting, heartbroken river rafting guide. <laughs> Catherine Missal as Adina, the love interest. Ron Livingston as Ethan. Norman Reedus as the trucker. <laughs> Michael Key as Jack Peterson. Regina Hall as Nancy. Elizabeth Giles as Heather. Uh, the tri- tripi sorority that's a fan of Debbie. The cops, Tim Heidecker, Nick Kroll, Caitlin Olson, and Michael Pena were hilarious at Four Corners. Yeah, that was a great moment. Hannah Davis Jeter as the new girl in the red Ferrari. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> we'll get to David, that David Clennon is co-pilot and Jake Terry and Robert Colin Hanks Robin Cartwright and John Francis Daly so trivia like I said before exact same release date of National Lampoon's Vacation July 29th originally set to be released on the October bopped around all over the place to July and then they finally said hey why not the 32nd anniversary of the first vacation film Randy Quaid could not reprise his role due to him being arrested involving a house payment. Dispute. <laughs> oh my god. Yep. Uh, Ed Helms is a sixth actor to play Rusty Griswold after Anthony Michael Hall, Jason Lively, Johnny Galecki, Ethan Embry, and Travis Greer. Hotel Hell Vacation? What? I've never heard of it. I've yeah. Joel, have you heard of that? No. I know what I know Hotel Hell, the Gordon Ramsay show, but I've never heard of it. No, that I don't Wow, that like Chevy that. Chase is in that one. Really? Is it like a like a short film or something? Like a uh, Clark and Ellen Griswold? Oh yeah, it's a short. It's only fourteen minutes long. That explains it. Okay, everything's back in alignment again. Okay. Previous four movies: His Homage, Vacation, European Vacation, Christmas Vacation, Vegas Vacation. The pictures Rusty looks at in his photo album near the beginning of the film are all taken from those films. Yep. Which is kind of funny because you get to see all the different iterations of Rusty. I know, and right? None of them look the same. Man, that kid changed a lot. Right. Uh, the roller coaster scene is a tr- in the trailer is the ninja at Six Flags over Georgia, although it seems the roller coaster is depicted as a fun ride in the trailer. Regular visitors to the park know the ride is extremely rough. Okay. It's been 17 years since the Griswolds were seen on the big screen, their last fa- film being Vegas Vacation, and the movie has a curious distinction of simultaneously being a sequel, a remake, and a reboot. Yeah, because I think a lot of people when this came was was first announced and was coming out, even when I saw it originally, because it's the second time I've seen it, I thought it was a remake. And then as soon as it started, I was like, oh, it's a sequel. Yeah, yeah. they call him Rusty. Like, oh, yeah. You realize he's Rusty grown up. Yep. You know, the second time talking about Chevy Chase, every time his name comes up, I still get the knee jerk to say something horrible. But after our roast show, like my heart's just not in it. Dude's had enough. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. The, whole, the whole thing between him and Dan Harmon got so ugly that, you know, it, it, it got to the point where it's like, well, I'm starting to feel sorry for Chevy Chase now. Yeah. I, and I don't like that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you should feel sorry for Randy Quaid. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Randy no. Quaid has, has literally turned into Cousin Eddie. Now we're all sad again. So first viewing for any of us? All of yes. us? Uh, second time no. I've seen it. Second time for me, too. Oh, I, I literally just started watching it like five hours ago. So, yeah. yeah, I just finished it about a half hour before we started recording. What about you, Mike? First time. In fact, before we started talking about it, I didn't even know it existed. I'm pretty sure this is my prediction that we're going to be split directly down the middle on the sides of who's seen this multiple times and who's just saw it for the yep. first time. I'm going to think 50-50 on this one. That's my guess going into this. That's where you're pitching it? Yep. Well, I'm going to throw you off. Oh! Oh! From left well, field. mainly because we were talking earlier about uh, I th- Joel was saying, uh, I think I know how people feel. I- I- I'm not sure I know how I feel about this. Hmm. Well, let's get talking. I want to first of all say that the opening credits were really good. Like the whole like half, uh, you know, showing half the picture and then showing why the picture was funny. The yeah. awkward family photos kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really set the mood for the movie. So I, I, I mean. I normally don't really even pay attention during opening credits, but those were those were really good. The reason I think this is so complicated for me is because Ed Helms and Christina Applegate are genuinely brilliant. Like mm-hmm. they're just their performances are awesome. It made the movie enjoyable when they were on, but there's so many other things that don't work that make me wonder if they were just so awesome they performed in spite of a terrible script. Well, and see, I thought the part that was going to turn you off was the pubic hair in the bathroom. And then Patrick thought the the, the hot, springs, hot springs. The hot springs. The was gonna oh, turn you up. know what? No, neither, neither one of those. I think the casual cruelty of destroying the new girl in the red... Uh, the red the Ferrari. Ferrari. Yeah. yeah, the Ferrari. That was just like... That was too much. That was probably the moment I was pushing towards thumbs down. It, just from the beginning, the, the kid whose entire character is punching his older brother and swearing... I didn't find him funny. I found his presence just irritating. Oh, yeah. I thought he was funny. I don't know why. Maybe. Oh, the little the little brother. Oh, yeah, the little maybe, brother. maybe the inner bully in me that I used to be was you know connected with him. But I thought he was okay. hysterical. So you you listen to Josh and me, and this is what everybody thought about you. <laughs> <laughs> that that kid from the second the little brother. This is what you sound like. All that bullshit was really annoying. That kid was not funny. He was not clever. And the the I guess the closest you can say to it are a story arc of him and his brother suddenly getting getting along after he slaps him thing was the brothers I could not handle. I mean, they they could have gone with so much better than those two. See, I like Skylar Cazando. He's in um, Santa Clarita Diet. He plays kind of a similar character and he plays that kind of wishy washy. Every young teenage boy has a stack of diaries. Yes. Yeah, Skylar didn't bother me nearly as much as Steel Stebbins. I, I like him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, could take it or leave it, I guess. But, but you know, the thing with the car, with the the girl in the Ferrari, and they they lead up to that. This is a vacation, but it's different than you know vacation. Yeah, that old meta joke yeah. about you know it's going to be judged on its own merits, but it's just as good as the first one. I thought that was a that was a beautiful little nod to the whole debate about remakes and, and reboots and everything. And it was a nice way to kind of play up the and, joke. And it was just long enough. But if it had gone on a little bit longer, it would have gone gone on too long. But it was written well so that it, you know, it wasn't 
like turning to the camera and you know breaking the fourth wall kind of thing it was still in character in the scene but it's still that's what i'm saying like if it had gone on longer it would have broken broken the fourth wall i think it would have been yeah. too much because there were a lot of similarities i mean there were they they did not make any bones about you know we're gonna do the car that's over the top and we're you know gonna have the girl in the red ferrari and we're gonna have you know all these things that kind of were similar to the original but i thought the thing with the car the car i found it funny because you know I'm like, okay, they're going to go down this road again. And then all of a sudden, nope, sorry, we're going to pull that out from under you. And it's more about, you know, James and the the girl that they keep running into. The that uh, Well, that was in, in some of the some of the stuff I've read that was actually in the original Chevy Chase and uh, Harold Ramis. They had gotten together and rewritten some of the original story. And in the original story, it was the boy and the girl. It wasn't the father and girl in the Ferrari. You mean in the eighty three? No, in the in the story that was written in the uh, oh, what is vacation fifty eight? Yeah, John Hughes oh. John Hughes story. It was a young boy seeing the girl in the car, oh. and they turned it into the father. Huh. Mm. That's nice. That's a nice nod. Then that you wouldn't know if you didn't read the story or didn't read up on the film. So there you go. I love the car. The <laughs> oh, the two. Yeah, the one that the keeps screaming the, at him. What was Korean. it called? The the prancer. Yeah, prancer. Yeah, the, okay. the, the headlights in the front and the back were <laughs> ridiculous. But that that key fob when he's looking, he goes, "Well, I mean, what are we gonna do? I'm gonna I'm gonna press the muffin." He pushes the, the muffin, muffin all the windows shatter. The muffin the whole the whole muffin scene killed me. Like the windows all burst out as so he presses it again and it starts it up. And as soon as it's like, about to get in, it drives off. Yeah, and he's <laughs> like, "Well, not gonna try the swastika." So <laughs> I wish they had tried the swastika. And the whole thing, he's like, it has two gas tanks. He's like, why does it have two gas tanks, Dad? So it can hold more gas. He's it's like, twice well, the gas. Why doesn't it just have one large gas tank? And he's like, no, it has two. It's, it's like volume. another version of the this goes to 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the whole thing with the cord. <laughs> he just kept. Well, the cord and the, the GPS turning into the angry Korean guy. <laughs> why oh, my. is it so angry? That, that whole button pressing scene when the, when, when the, the trucker's coming after them. And they just start randomly pressing buttons, and the seat starts spinning around, and everything. I was I was crying, laughing. It was that was a brilliant scene. And then and then of course, as soon as they're done, the voice is in Korean, and it's shouting at them, and like, why is he so mad? It's like give him a moment to calm down, and the voice is like, <laughs> <laughs> that was a genuinely funny scene. Yeah, your wife lost your ring back at the truck stop, so my mouth's go. Oh, thank, you're not a rapist. <laughs> he never answered the question. <laughs> it makes <laughs> kids a... feel more comfortable. <laughs> oh, oh, you, you have, have kids? kids? No. 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 <laughs> oh, early early on, another line, I wrote this one down because it made me laugh. Like, they're, they're at that first restaurant, and he's like, there was a hole in my stall. Sounds like you found yourself a glory hole. <laughs> that. That whole learning moment thing was hilarious. And did you did you guys watch? I don't know if you had it on. Uh, I got the DVD for, it and they had cut parts, gag gag tracks on the back of it with him trying. Like at the, when the very beginning, I find a family that talks about genitalia is just closer. You know, it's. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the whole thing of him focusing on the, if he had a, a vagina. Oh yeah, not saying you have a vagina, but if you did, it's important that we accept gender fluidity. Yeah, the Ed Helms, I think, was really good. One thing I did kind of have a problem with was Ron Livingston being a douchebag. 
Well, uh, he plays a good douchebag, though. He does play a good douchebag, but every time I see him, I think of Office Space. I identify with him in <laughs> this I one. Wouldn't he... say so much, I've been missing it, Bob. Yeah. Well, then you get the family fight, which is... <laughs> did you see the way I scratched her? You... Good job, Rusty. You, you did good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris Hemsworth uh, has serious comedy chops. Yeah, he, he does. does. Oh, God, yeah. His whole... Everything about him was great. I, this just reminded me of his performance in Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters where you've yeah. got yeah an underappreciated movie, and he is just this diamond in it every moment he's on the screen. Mm. <laughs> well, and yeah. then the stuff. The, the whole like, scene when he walks into the bedroom, I think, would have been funnier if he had just not even like if not even called attention to it, lifted his leg up, nothing. He just walks around talking to him like casual, like. Like the fact that he knew what he was he was doing and he was intentionally trying to show it off kind of ruined the joke a little bit. Yeah, I I mean, maybe it's a case of underestimating their audience, figuring if they don't call attention to it, someone's just going to miss the joke at all. But those are the best jokes when you don't call out the joke and you just let it slip by. Kind of like um, uh, front page, you know, with the, the fat rapid fire jokes where you don't always catch them all. But if you go back and watch it again, you might catch it the next time. I appreciate those more. Yeah, I definitely get the, the concept behind that. And I'm with you. But I think. In a way, Josh is right, because in a movie like this, this is made for the masses, and you, you yep. don't really necessarily go for subtlety. Mm-hmm. So I get that, I guess, but you know, I just felt like it went on a little too long. If, if they, I think if they were going to call that much attention to it, they should have cut the last scene when he put his leg up one more time and looked around, or they should have just kept the length of the scene and called less attention to it, and mm-hmm. just given people more opportunity to see it on their own. My sense of humor, that one of my favorite bits in... And this was the the cow, <laughs> not not where he gets hit by the 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 four wheel. Right, yeah, the cannibalistic cow. <laughs> the cannibal makes me think of man eating cow from the tick. Dad, dad, isn't that? Yes, son, that's cannibalism. <laughs> I don't know why that strikes me so funny every time I see it. And then when he comes over and he starts eating the cow that they're washing <laughs> yeah. off, Clark, or of Rusty, <laughs> he's like, no, no. Oh. And then the picture of at the end where he's ordering a burger through drive through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's that kind of stuff that where it gets a little absurd, where it, it hits my sweet spot. But and I, I didn't know Chevy Chase and, and Beverly D'Angelo were going to be in this the first time I saw it. Mm. I was hoping that maybe there would be like a guest spot. When they showed up, I was like, "Oh, that's a nice little touch." I mean, Beverly, Chevy was Beverly D'Angelo looks pretty damn good. I mean, she's had some stuff done, but she looks better than I was expecting her to look. She does, and she was criminally underused in her cameo. Oh yep. yeah. That, I mean, they got her back and gave her nothing to do. Well, I think I think that whole scene kind of became victim of the Chevy Chase ego, where he's like, "I'm in vacation movie. I'm gonna, you know, these are my movies. I'm gonna take over every scene I'm in. Nobody else gets any scenery when I'm there." Yeah, I, I felt like he kind of played it a little too too strong. Yeah, and, and like the whole scene of him getting the guitar out of the case. I mean, that you know, I mean, Chevy Chase from 20 years ago wouldn't have done that so clumsily. No, he wouldn't have drawn. Been, his clumsiness would have been much more refined. You know what I mean? Well, I'm not not that not refined. I mean, he it was just like just like the the deck joke from earlier. They had to play it. You know, he's flipping it over there. He had to play it out long enough so everybody got the joke that he's clumsy with stuff. Yeah, it that wasn't being, like this and, is his this is his Chevy Chase moment. Right, right. It's not like in the other movies where he, you, you know, it's like Christmas Vacation where he does stuff and you don't catch it till you've seen it the second time. Every every joke in this movie has a big red flag marking for, marking it where it is. Now, sometimes... And luckily, a lot of the jokes are good enough to... That's stay. the thing. The jokes are good. Yeah, they really are. This, I mean, it's a, it's a solid comedy. 
Well, and it, it, it takes to, you know, I think about that first uh, SNL where he's putting up the Christmas tree and he falls off the ladder and all that, you know, he was the, the pratfall guy, the physical comedian. So right. I think he just still wanted to be that. And it just, well, I mean, and that's the thing is like back in the day during the original vacation movies, he knew he was the lead. He knew he was carrying everything. He was going to have, you know, almost every second of screen time he was going to be on there so he could pace himself. But this one he knew, hey, I've only got five, ten minutes of screen time. I got to yuck it up. And, you know, nobody else is going to eat the screen while I'm there because I got I'm going to eat these ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and he does. Chevy Chase being Chevy Chase, you know, who are, you know, these these two brand new directors, you're not going to be able to tell Chevy Chase what to do. Right. I'm not saying he did anything wrong. It's just he's going to Chevy Chase it up. He he did what we expected him to do. He chewed up the scenery. He stepped in front of everybody else, and he did his thing. I mean, it's I'm Clark Griswold, bitch. You, you can't you can't drink Chevy Chase and be mad that you get Chevy Chase, right? But in the meantime, we lost John Ritter. Oh yeah, hmm. looked like Chevy Chase ate John Ritter. <laughs> that dude got a he got around, man. Chevy Chase and the burgers. One of my one of my favorite lines from the Chevy Chase roast: <laughs> "Chevy Chase is proof that you can snort the funny out of yourself." Oh, <laughs> but I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I you know I felt like this was a pretty a pretty well written comedy, even as a standalone film. It's still enjoyable, kind of you know like like we're the Millers again, Ed Helms. But yeah, this very much know. reminds me of we're the no, that was Jason Sudeikis. Yeah. Oh, you're you're right. Sorry. But yeah, the same same kind of thing where it's a, a road trip movie with a quote unquote family and all the hijinks that ensue. And it, it reminded me a lot of that. When I finally saw Where the Miller Millers, I'm like, oh, this reminds me of Vision. But in a good way, you know, not Where the Millers was was much funnier than I anticipated it being. Yeah. You're getting paid? <laughs> I gotta I gotta actually watch all of that. Yeah. It's it's good. It's got a Ben Folds cameo. I mean, how much more could you want? <laughs> but I was I was pleasantly surprised the first time I saw this. <clears throat> at how much I enjoyed it because I was expecting to kind of go, well, that was all right. Yeah, um, I I kind of watched it just out of obligation to the vacation series and everything. And I was like, I want to check it out. And just like you, I was very pleasantly surprised. I laughed a lot. And uh, an- of- another line that that made me laugh was towards the end when he's like, like you know, t- uh, telling her he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna bang the shit out of you, and she, you know, and then she says something about the door. And he's like, I'm yeah. gonna lock the shit out of that door. that door. The ending with the 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 photographs again. It was yeah. another nice touch. Well, they they kept the reminiscing in it. You know, they they're yeah, separate the from part, what it was. Yeah. yeah, but it's still it's still a vacation movie, and you expect something from a vacation movie. You expect a catchy song. I mean, in this one, it's the Holiday Road from the from the previous one. Now, like Chris, the Christmas Vacation one has that really good Christmas song attached to it. I mean, there's the better ones have it, but you get what you want in this one. And I was not expecting a lot my my expectations were pretty low for this and i think outside of the brothers the younger uh, outside of the younger brother specifically the older brother really i didn't have a problem with i mean look at him throwing the plastic bag over his head and shit though it was funny when he did it in the fight at the end (laughs) that was that was kind of uh you know i he was kind of annoying so but one of the things that they they kept true to that seems to be the kind of the the fabric that's holding all the the franchise together is that at the end of the day, no matter what they go through, they're still a family. They still love each other and they're happy with being Griswolds, you know, cause they even talk about that when uh, Clark's talking about how Audrey and stone, you know, their marriage is, isn't that great and they're sleeping with other people and all this stuff. And, you know, and that was a very important scene for her to, you know, really kind of snap to it. 
you know, how good she had it. Exactly. And at the end of the movie, even though, you know, them getting into fight with the other family and the older brother finally standing up for himself, they were a, they were a closer family at the end of the film. One scene that made me laugh the most was uh, the son and that one girl at the hot tub when Ed Helms comes out and tries to <laughs> win for him. Okay. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> Yeah. I'm, I'm scared. Should I, should I not leave you alone? Dude, will you be all right? Um, should I'm I fine. call the cops? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What happened with that guy who was hitting on you? Oh, that, that's actually my dad. <laughs> Weird fucking family. <laughs> right? <laughs> so you, you want a you rim job or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what he's got a brother pinned to the ground he's, you like that you like someone playing with your lips that's so weird <laughs> nope my fingers in your ears i'm gonna touch your ears like that, that's, how, that's how you break the bully you just do something so weird to him it's like it's like what brian crow did to us yeah we kept running into the wall yep well and does anybody want to talk about before because it sounds like we're about to wrap up but uh the the scene with ellen and that the sorority house where she Debbie do anything? Yeah, where she she gets up on she's going to do the the obstacle course and then and you're like all the, over. Yeah, the music starts playing and they're all cheering and she's chugging the beer and you're like, "Yeah, she's going to kill this thing." <laughs> and instead she vomits profusely and then proceeds to completely mess up the entire thing, but you know, keeps going. I think I think it was kind of funny but a little bit too much of a smack of reality of what would happen if we tried something like that. But that's that funny. Her timing on the physical comedy. That's one of the things, Laurel, even though I almost universally hated the script, like every scene with her or at Helms is so good. Like I'm honestly not going to know until I have to decide when we say thumbs up or thumbs down, whether them being so brilliant, her like genuine charisma and gift for both physical comedy and timing and his, uh, and just Ed Helms aping of Chevy Chase's original character. Like you could see the personality of the son through the father, just the way he did it. They're so good that I, it almost didn't matter what the script was, whether it was good or not. And, and Christina Applegate is one of my, one of my favorites. I just, her comedic timing, her, you know, she's intelligent. She's gorgeous. I mean, she's the whole package. I like her mm-hmm. a lot. We should do. Don't tell mom. The babysitter's dead. Dude, dishes are done, man. <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen that movie in forever. But I think the fact that she didn't make it through it was what made it brilliant because, you know, if you're twenty years on, had a couple kids, you're, you know, settled down, you're not the if person. If she'd have gone up there and nailed it, it would have been very it would have been disingenuous. Yeah. It 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 was funnier the fact that she didn't do it because that's that's reality. You're not you know, you're not twenty years old anymore. No, I'm sad. <laughs> well you're still twenty. <laughs> I know, but my daughter's turning twenty. <laughs> uh, you better teach her how to chug. Yeah, I don't see that being a problem with this. <laughs> right? She already knows, I'm sure. Yeah, she she knows us and, and us well enough where she's like, I want nothing to do with that shit. <laughs> no, I mean, I I wasn't expecting to enjoy this movie, and honestly, the bar was is set pretty damn high for for it. In Ed Helms, I initially, I don't know, I initially my thought was I would not expect Rusty to be that type of personality, you know, because after all the vacations and all that, if Clark Griswold is your dad, you try to not be as Griswoldy as he is. But I mean, eventually, I guess you just grow up to be your parents. But and, and I mean, he always did it, even even though like he may have mocked him a little bit. He always did look up to his dad. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you that. I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's far out of the realm 
it would be more it would be weirder if Audrey had grown up to be like her dad because every every movie she was just you know the one that was like ugh yeah Rushy was the one that was always more like you know I'm gonna go along because you know he's my dad can't see the panel lands can you Russ <laughs> no not at all getting Hooter in here How, nipply outside all right so are we at that thumbs up thumbs down I think we're at that time all right Josh get ready. So Joel. I'll go first. I'm a Pack, okay. Pack goes Pack goes first. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, take it. Oh, okay. I thought nobody was going. Well, for me, I, if you haven't guessed already, it's, it's thumbs up for both all the way around. That's why I was going to go. Cause my, I'm the same thumbs up both. No, no dispute. Yeah. I'm thumbs up, thumbs up on both of them. Oh boy. I'm definitely thumbs up on the original and I'm not just doing this to be contrary. I think I'm going to have to say just as a movie, I have to give it thumbs down as much as I love both of the main two stars. Like I'm not evaluating them. I'm evaluating what they were in and what they were in is something I didn't like very much. Do you don't forget though. You do occasionally, as long as you don't abuse it, you do get a thumb sideways sometimes. No, that's, that's for lesser mortals. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit. Thumbs down. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> we are men among the God, amongst the God. Uh, I just, I've uh, never done a thumb, thumb sideways. Today is not that day. <laughs> nice. Yeah, well. So Joel, what are we doing next week? <laughs> I feel like a goddamn broken record, but <laughs> we're doing the billboard show. <laughs> No, we're not. <laughs> Still going to be Christmas. Brothers <laughs> <laughs> will not die. It's for any of you wondering why the Billboard show has not come out. We've tried to do it a couple times and it's still Christmas music on the top. Uh, we're like waiting the for the fourth that to, time we've tried. It is. It's the fourth time we tried and we're, we're just keep trying to get out to just get no Christmas music on the top 10. I think we're all right now. Yeah, I'm checking. We, We'll even take uh-huh. one if there's only one song. But it, by the end of the month, it should be clear, I would imagine. Yeah, it'll be all those Valentine carols. <laughs> all right. So if you have any thoughts on uh, anything we've had to say about vacation or anything, uh, let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And want to find more of our shows? We're on iTunes, Podverse, Podchaser, Google Podcasts. Blueberry uh, Stitcher. Blueberry Stitcher. Uh, I'm trying to think where there's a couple other new ones. Oh, we're getting on Anchor, so we're figuring that out. But again, like Pat says, if you can't find us, you ain't tried hard enough. Come back next week. Hopefully we'll have music. <laughs> sure try. Might be wrong. Could be the spam show, for all we know at this point. <laughs> oh. Could be Mime Part 2. Oh, man. It's been a long time since we did the Mime show. Somebody fall for that twice. All right. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. The guy that uh, used to supply me with deer meat died, so I kind of I'm sad. I gotta oh. find it. Yeah, so I gotta find it. What'd you make him into? <laughs> <laughs> What do you call these? At the funeral, we just chopped him up. (laughs) These, 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 these hot dogs are really good. What do you call them? Franks. (laughs) They cured him. Somebody, somebody shows up at the funeral, and you just suddenly, you just, you just hear one of those meat slices kick up. (laughs) That funeral had the best charcuterie board. (laughs) 
get to cannibalism so quickly? <laughs> How don't we?